as humans, we're, we have been brainwashed. I'm going to purposely use that word. We have been brainwashed okay. by this industry to believe that the holy grail lies in finding the right diet for us, right? We, we go out and we say, well, maybe keto will work for me. Well, maybe Whole30 will work for me. Maybe I need to take this pill or this injection. I am telling you from the bottom of my soul, no diet is ever going to be the answer. The way, the goal for this, none of us want to think about food, right? We want to live our life. We want crazy amounts of energy. We want health. We want to be able to eat whatever the heck we want and stop thinking about it. The goal is to release this control that food has over us. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman, formerly known as the Queen of Jeans, but now the proud host of my own podcast, too young to be old, which is also the title of my second book. So today, I think we have a guest that everyone is going to be fascinated by, because if you, like me, have been on one form or another of diet your whole life, and they work for a little while, and then you kind of lose interest, and then you sort of lose resolve, and then somebody puts some kind of food in front of you, like a donut, that you just can't say no to, guess what? Well, we've got Rachel Fryman, and she has the solution. And I want you to see her book, Becoming Mind Strong, because guess what? It's all up here in your head. So Rachel and I have a major shared weakness which is donuts. And I just said, I just saw my dream Christmas tree, Rachel, which was, and it was big. It was like six feet tall, 100% donuts, like a thousand donut Christmas tree, all decorated differently. And, you know, I think that I would have to say my thing is sugar. Um, I don't go out of my way for it, but if you put it in front of me, I can't stop eating it. I once went out at lunchtime from my office and I was going to buy everybody donuts. So I bought a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. I sat down and ate half of them. I could not stop myself. So I know in my head, I have to, and you may call it restrictive diet and get rid of all sugar in my house. Because I already know most stuff has sugar in it anyway. But tell us that misconception of dieting and especially restrictive dieting and how your brain just cannot sustain that. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And now my mind is going to be stuck on this this donut Christmas tree for, for the rest of the season. The tree was beautiful. It sounds that like literally a dream come true. Oh my God. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Anywho. What you're saying is exactly accurate. You know, everything that I teach, everything that I believe in is based in number one, psychology and number two, neuroscience. I'm a huge psychology neuroscience nerd. And when we understand a couple basic principles of psychology, we understand, I always like to say, you know, if, if you made a list of every single diet you've ever tried in your life, for oh. some people that's 50, for some people that's 350, right? Yeah. At their root though, what we're going to see is it wasn't 350 diets. It was different versions of one diet. 
because every diet out there is based on restriction. It's based on telling you what you quote unquote can or can't eat, what's allowed or not allowed. And when we understand some basics of human psychology, we are pleasure-seeking creatures. Freud discovered something called the pleasure principle that simply states we are designed to avoid pain and seek pleasure, but first oh, and yeah. foremost, to avoid pain, right? Yeah. It, physical pain is a little more obvious. If I'm sitting on my keys as we're talking here, I'm going to adjust <laughs> to get out of physical pain. But emotional pain is just as real. So when we put our horse blinders on and we say carbs are bad, I can only drink these shakes, I can only eat these pre-approved meals, we are trying to live in a state of restriction, which is emotional pain. And at some point, consciously or subconsciously, we are going to self-sabotage to get ourselves into a state of pleasure. The problem is, as you know, right, most of us have been chronic dieters our whole life. When we go on a diet, let's say a low-carb diet, right, and we're so good for a month, for three months, maybe six months, if you have more willpower than I do, I could not make it six months without carbs. <laughs> I know. We don't emotionally separate and say, oh, that particular diet didn't work for me. We say, who am I kidding thinking anything would ever last? Why do I have no willpower? Why am I so bad at this? We beat ourselves up and go down the rabbit hole. And to me, the most important step, first and foremost, especially as women, is that we take a step back and we wipe the slate clean. We say, wait a second, I haven't tried 500 diets. I've tried different versions of one. And every single one of them was fighting against my human nature. So it's time to wipe that slate clean, give my past self a little hug and forgiveness, and learn nutrition in a different way as a skill that flows with our human nature instead of fights against it. And then for me, because I think that I, I've lived between two youth-obsessed worlds, the world of television and the world of fashion, I see myself as a fat person. So when I had breast cancer, first of all, when I lost my husband, I gained almost 95 pounds. I was truly huge. But in my brain, I just didn't want to see it. I wouldn't even look at myself in a mirror. So there is that thing of denial. And then I think that my restrictive dieting comes from my brain where I now always look at my body, even though I lost the majority of that weight, I gained back 30 pounds during breast cancer, all from steroids and water retention, and that took forever to get rid of. I tell myself all the time, as a motivator, you're fat. Oh, you're so fat. You're really fat. And I looked at myself really closely the other day, and I, I did look thinner. I mean, I have been really pretty disciplined about eating because uh, holiday season, I always fall off the rails. And you know what I said to myself? Oh, that's just today. It's temporary. Mm -hmm. I won't even give myself the credit for losing weight because I'm so afraid that giving myself credit for being successful at dieting is going to open the portal of, okay, so let's go to the all-you-can-eat buffet of life and just stay there forever. <laughs> that is not being mind-strong. So what is being mind-strong? Yeah. 
First of all, thank you. Thank you for being that vulnerable. I know your story. I'm sure that your listeners right now are listening and nodding their heads <laughs> and they're like, yes, not many people will say that out loud. But again, especially as women, this is what we do. We beat ourselves into the ground. And when there's that glimmer of hope, instead of praising ourselves, it's like, oh, but it's temporary. Oh, it's not real. Oh, it's a fluke, right? So, yeah. so to answer your question, and then I want to get back to what you just said, because everything you just expressed can be, I don't want to use the word fixed, but it's a result of your current brain wiring. So I want, I want to have a deeper conversation about that. But to back up, the name MindStrong came from two different components. Um, my background is kind of unusual. I, I was not born into a world of fitness. I started as a jazz musician in New York City, and I went on Whoa. to teach music. Yeah, very different background than most people expect. I, yeah. <laughs> and as a teacher, there's that is that is my calling in life. My superpower is that I can take what seems like really big, complicated subjects and break them into bite-sized baby steps. I'm not a coach. I'm not a personal trainer. I'm not a motivator. I'm an educator. So to me, MindStrong comes first and foremost from the education side. The other piece of the name MindStrong comes from my love of neuroscience. Because when we understand, I'm going to give you a little 30-second neuroscience lesson. Please. <laughs> and it's going to help Please you understand do. the thought processes. Every time in life that we either think a new thought or take a new action, you can go on YouTube and watch videos of this. It's the coolest thing in the nerdiest way ever. A neural connection is formed in our brain. So to go back to my musician days, I pick up the violin, I learn my fingers for the note C sharp, and I play it. That very first time a neural connection's been formed. It's super weak. It's not strong yet. It's a, a weak little bridge, but it's there. Every time I repeat the action or thought, there's this stuff in our brain called myelin that acts like cement. And every time I repeat, that myelin is coding that neural connection. With enough time and consistency, that neural connection gets formed strongly enough to where it's a well-worn habit. Right? If we think about brushing our teeth, we didn't come out of the womb dying to brush our teeth. Someone poked us every day until we did it, we did it, we did it. And now if I was like, hey, how was brushing your teeth this morning? You're gonna, I, I don't remember, right? I assume I did it, but it's so myelinated in my brain. It's just who I am and what I do. So what happens for us, again, especially, this is true of everyone, but especially as women, we are guilty of this. We have spent so long repeating stories like, I am the fat kid. Who am I kidding thinking I'm, I'm ever going to keep this weight off? Yeah, I lost 10 pounds, but I gained back 20. We have repeated those stories so many times that right now our brain is literally wired for those stories. We believe it to be capital T truth when it is not a truth of life, but it is very much our truth simply because our brain is wired that way. So what happens is we walk by, we look in a mirror. We don't even have time to have conscious thoughts. We just automatically feel like garbage. And if we could like go into the movie, The Matrix and slow motion this, we would see what's happening is I look in the mirror, I see myself, all those wired in habits, these thought process habits wired in our brain are flowing in. Who am I kidding thinking I can lose weight? I'm always gonna be the fat kid. They flew in so fast because they are well-worn habits that now they've created chemical reactions on our body called feelings and now we feel like garbage. This is yeah. all on autopilot. I feel like I am the ultimate loser because I'm not a loser. Mm. I can't lose the amount of weight that I think would put me in a zone where I would say, oh, my God, at last I'm safe. Uh, nobody can call me chubby. But, you know, 
I am so involved in fashion and I designed for 55 years and my fashion brand DG2 was based on making a jean and tops in measurements that were true to an aging body. But the minute you're away from that brand on QVC HSN, you're back in the real world of now, even after losing the weight, just because the fashion industry does not want to deal with imperfect females like me, I have to take, in most cases, a size large. And when you look at me, the first thing you're going to say is you are not large. But trust me, in a world where you are only rewarded if you're thin, you're large. And then it goes into your brain, oh, my God. I'm large. I've got to take care of this immediately. But I always hit a brick wall. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This is going to be, most most of the time, I want to just go along with the flow. But this is a hardball question. So, this week, Oprah comes out and admits two things. Number one. She tried Weight Watchers. It ain't working for me, she says. Okay, well, largest stockholder of Weight Watchers. That's an interesting statement. It's not effective. And then she reveals her new body, says, I'm tired of body shaming. Yeah, I'm doing Ozempic, okay? I'm sticking a needle into me every day. So what? Look at me. It's working. So now everybody stampedes to Ozempic. And a new drug comes out called Ro, R-O, which I'm sure is, a, you know, a, a hyphenate for some long drug name. <laughs> that we can't pronounce. And a guy comes out on the screen, cable TV, with a big, beer, hairy beer belly, pulls up his t-shirt, sticks this giant needle into his stomach and says, yeah, I've lost 50 pounds and I'm going for another 50. And then when you're all done with that, you see these ads constantly for Sonabello, which is a form of liposuction, but done with radio frequency. So it shows a woman and she says, well, I've had three children and I have this giant stomach overhang. Look at my bikini body now after Sonobello. And I'm thinking, where did the skin go? I don't get it. I think we're missing a few points here. And I think also... And I only think this, I'm not qualified to make any statement other than a personal opinion, that Ozempic and this new drug Roe, and I'm sure there's a zillion others in the in the wings. I got a feeling that these in 10 years we're gonna say to ourselves, you know, that wasn't such a good idea. But I'm gonna ask you, what is your aggregate opinion of the way Americans approach weight loss and maintenance, which is, hell no, I'm not doing any work. I'm just going to punch 
a needle in my stomach or I'm just going to go for a radio frequency and it's not going to hurt and it's going to be so comfortable. What is your opinion of all that, Rachel? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think 10 years is very generous. I'm going to say that any of these celebrities we see coming out saying this is the newest diet I'm doing, give them two years. And I say that from experience. I have watched thousands of women go on the latest fad diet. It works. It works temporarily and they will lose 100 pounds and then they're going to gain back 150. Why? Why? Because it's not sustainable. To me, everything that I teach, everything that I believe in is not about dieting. As, um, as humans, we're, we have been brainwashed. I'm going to purposely use that word. We have been brainwashed okay. by this industry to believe that the holy grail lies in finding the right diet for us, right? We, we go out and we say, well, maybe keto will work for me. Well, maybe Whole30 will work for me. Maybe I need to take this pill or this injection. I am telling you from the bottom of my soul, no diet is ever going to be the answer. The way, the goal for this, none of us want to think about food, right? We want to live our life. We want crazy amounts of energy. We want health. We want to be able to eat whatever the heck we want and stop thinking about it. The goal is to release this control that food has over us. And no diet, no pill, no injection is ever going to do that for us long-term. The way that we take control of anything in life is by understanding it. Right? If you're someone who's petrified of, of finances because you're in a lot of debt, but your goal is to be wealthy, the way that you get over that fear is by getting your hands in the dirt and learning to take control. Right? Whatever scares you in life is because you don't understand it yet. And once you understand it, you're in control of it and you can release it. So to me, name, name the diet, right? cutting out carbs or the latest injection. At the end of the day, if it is not based in education, if it is not a skill that you can master, it's not going to last long term. So my approach to nutrition is not a diet. It's let me teach you the skill of nutrition. It is human biology 101. And once you learn it, you can't Harry Potter it out of your brain. You can't, you can't unlearn it. It's a skill you learn once and you literally have for the rest of your life. And you never diet again. You release the control food has over you. You stop ruminating and you are in complete control of your health. Well, I wonder how many millions of people are saying, oh, yeah, but I think I'll just stick a needle in my stomach. Actually, it looked pretty barbaric, but um, I think it is, and you might agree, so American to say, yeah, you know what? I just want to pay for it. I don't want to work for it. And yet, I know because when liposuction first came out, and it had to be 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I remember I had gotten my one and only facelift so I could go on TV and, and not cringe at my image. And he was one of the founders, Dr. Daniel Baker, of liposuction. And I remember saying, I really want it. Because I, uh, I always have been so attracted to carbs and sugar and carbs turn into sugar in your mouth. So there you go. And he said, Diane, he said, I'll do it, but you're not, it, you're never going to have a bikini body. I'm just going to get rid of some surface fat. And he was right. And I, that I, I learned a lesson through that, but I didn't learn a life lesson about dieting. And so all my life, I think I have approached food as the enemy. Yep. 
And I wonder what you think of that. And maybe we're scared of our enemies in life because we think they have too much power over us. But I know at a certain point, and we were talking about loving Krispy Kreme donuts. Here I am talking about it again. And um, I just went through my entire pantry and got rid of everything that was a direct sugar product. And that is the only way, Rachel, I can handle it. Because if it's in front of me and I want it, I'm going to reason all of that away like no 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 you shouldn't have it no 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 you're really doing okay with and i will go right back and eat it i bought just caved in i like things that are creamy and sugary and i bought um a new york cheesecake Mm -hmm. and i said i'll just have one sliver by the time the next day rolled around i had eaten half the cheesecake (laughs) and so How does your approach work for somebody like me, who I would almost say, and I wonder if you agree with the word or the terminology, food addiction? Absolutely. And to validate, you are not alone in that. I'm going to tell you that 98, 99% of the women who come to us, the the first hesitation that we hear is, I would love to believe this can work for me but I think too black and white. If I have one cookie, I'm gonna have seven. If I have one donut, I'm gonna have half a dozen. That is how we have been conditioned to to believe food to be. And it is very real, right? I'm not gonna sugarcoat and say, no, you're not like that. You are like that. Most women are, most humans are like that. One of the biggest, um, you know, as a business owner, we're always looking for patterns. Like what, what are the stories that people are telling over and over again? And the biggest feedback that we hear at the end of my 12-week program is what this did for me is it healed my relationship with food. That was not a marketing term I came up with. It's something we heard from thousands of women. This healed my relationship with food for the exact reason you're saying. When we grow up in diet culture, like let's go back to those neural connections, right? We have spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years wiring our brain for beliefs like, this is a good food. This is a bad food. This is yes. allowed food. This is not allowed, right? So our brain right now, of course, we're this way. We are wired to believe if I have a donut, it is going to make me fat. If I have a donut, I've done something wrong and it's a bad food. So what we do is we put our horse blinders on and we say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But knowing what we talked about earlier about the pleasure principle, about restriction, When we give ourselves an inch, of course we're taking a mile because we've learned that donuts are bad. So when I'm finally quote unquote bad and I cave and I have one, of course you're having six because we have to get it all in because we don't know when the next time we're going to have them is. Yeah, because it was so bad that I had to eat it really quickly and then I'm somehow... Uh, lightning is going to strike me. At right. any moment. And I'm going to start again Monday. So I may as well get it all in now because I'm going to go be good again on Monday. Exactly. Yeah. The reason that we call this healing your relationship with food is the way that we approach nutrition as a skill is first of all, we take off the labels, good, bad, allowed, not allowed, not allowed. There are more nutritious foods. There are foods that have more vitamins and minerals, but there's no foods that are bad or not allowed. So for me as a fellow donut lover, If I want to have a donut, I go into it full well knowing it's not the most nutritious food. I'm not going to do it every single day. And if I want to fit it into my personal nutrition budget, 
it wasn't a cheat day. It wasn't a splurge. I can still be losing weight while having the occasional donut. And simply giving ourselves that permission, taking off that label of bad, what happens many times is, yeah, there's days I have the donut. And then there's days where I'm like, yeah, I could fit this into my, my day if I want to. And I know it's going to use up a lot of my food. I don't know if I want to spend it on that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll wait and have it next week if I'm still craving it. Sometimes just giving our, signing our own permission slip, I like to call it, gets us out of this good, bad, black and white mind of thinking. And these are the steps that organically heal our relationship. You know, I, I say to myself, and I haven't had a donut in a while, but you're sort of giving me permission to do that. <laughs> yes. I've actually been really restrictively, um, and here I'm going to use the terminology, good this mm. holiday season. But I, I remember the last time I had a donut, and, the, and of course I wanted to go back and buy more. I said, Diane, what could be wrong with a donut? It's only white fried bread soaked in liquid sugar. What could be wrong with that? So sometimes I play my own mind trick with it and really identify the food so I know it's like back up <laughs> from the dozen donuts, Diane. One will do. Because I'll tell you what, once I start, I am out of control. So I never start. Yeah. Yeah, That's me. I believe it. I believe it. And that is 100% how your brain is wired right now. So it makes complete sense. There's a story in my book, same as you. Again, we are, we are Krispy Kreme soul sisters. There's a story <laughs> in my book where I hadn't had a donut in 10 years because I my blinders were on. It's a bad food. And I took my niece and nephew to a Krispy Kreme factory with the conveyor belt, the whole shebang. Oh, yes. I took a bite of one. It led to six donuts and ruining my vacation from the bellyache I had after six donuts. Yeah, I, that's what happened to me. I, you yep. know, I ate half a dozen donuts at once. I could not stop. And I got so ill from the sugar overload. I mean, I felt awful. I felt like my major arteries were all <laughs> clogging. And but yeah, I am definitely from that old school of good and bad. Right. If you're a good girl, you barely eat during the day. If you're bad, you overload on bad foods like right. cheese and sugar and white bread. And so, you know, it and I will say that at 78 years old, I probably spent, and because I was a chubby kid, I probably spent 70 years of my life going, good food, bad food, fat, not. And someone recently said to me, I've never met anybody with worse body dysmorphia than you. I play a game with my own brain, constantly telling myself, I'm chubby to shame myself into not eating, to stay relatively unchubby. Yeah. Oh, I want to, I want to get my hands in the dirt with you because <laughs> when we, seriously, when we understand, you know, the, the little neuroscience lesson that we just had, that's what's going on right now, right? It's 78 years old, you have had decades and decades of oh. repeating these stories to yourself and they are deep wired. They feel like truth in your body because they are deep wired. And it's the same thing. It's the same conversation 
good food, bad food, or yep. the stories that you believe about yourself, these are the neural connections in your brain. And the beauty is you can change them. It just takes a little hands in the dirt of unwiring those stories and consciously wiring in the new ones. And that work goes hand in hand. The, the yeah, way I think I need that help. Yes. I do think I need that help. So I could talk to you. We all do, by the way. Huh? <laughs> we all do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I believe that, especially because we live in a society that praises what becomes for most of us impossible body image. Well, you know, one time, and it had to be about 20 years ago, I was getting ready to go to shows in Paris and Milan. I'm standing in the airport and I see someone in front of me and I thought to myself, that poor woman, I mean, she's so anorexic. She shouldn't even be on a plane. She shouldn't even be standing upright. And it turned out it was one of the major supermodels of the moment. And she looked so ill and so fragile in person, so impossibly thin, good in photograph, good, good for photography. But as someone who is uh, and, and still is a dedicated fashionista, there was my image, just like for me at 78, I have no role models to follow. How should I look at my age? Well, just make it up. And so one of the things that goes into that component is I see that most people as they age get thicker and broader and heavier. So it always also went into my brain if you want to age beautifully and gracefully, you've got to age thin. And so, yeah, I'm surrounded by all these myths of what being an attractive woman is at any age. And it all comes out to the same thing, underweight, which I will never be. But last piece of advice for our too young to be old audience, what would you say is the key to living a happy, balanced, natural existence? My biggest belief, especially, especially when it comes to health and fitness, but this is true. I mean, pick your topic and this applies. I think as, as humans, especially in this niche of health and fitness, we are so conditioned to believe it's all or nothing, right? We're either eating clean six days a week or, oh man, I had a slice of pizza and now I have to start again on New Year's day, right? Yeah. I mean, working yeah. out four days a week or God forbid I miss a workout. I have to start again next month. The number one piece of advice that I can give anyone, and this is hashtag bigger life statement, is baby steps. Again, everything that I believe in goes back to human psychology, that we are pleasure-seeking creatures. Our brains can't handle massive change at once. This is why New Year's resolutions don't work. Trying to go from zero to 100, our brain is literally designed to resist it, and you're fighting against yourself. But when you feel into what is the bare minimum that I can commit to today, when you do that bare minimum and you take 30 seconds to celebrate yourself, this is not woo-woo rainbows and glitter and unicorns. It's, it's neuroscience. What happens in your brain is it releases all those feel-good chemicals. 
because we we feel good. We're celebrating ourselves. We're oh. proud of ourselves. And I always like to joke that as humans, we're just glorified drug addicts. We're just look, walking around looking for dopamine hits. So when it's so we, true. It's so true. Every decision yeah. in life is based off a dopamine hit. So when we take a bare minimum step, and most importantly, take 30 seconds to celebrate ourselves, and we feel all those feel good chemicals, the next time it comes time to take that baby step, and we don't want to, which we won't, because our brain's not wired for it. Now our brain has proof of, wait a second, remember how good it felt when I took that baby step? Let uh -huh. me take another. And to me, this is how you look back six months from now and say, who am I? Who built this new life? Because it becomes a snowball going down a hill. Major life overalls are trying to push a boulder up a hill. You're going to keep falling back down. A snowball down a hill comes from baby steps, momentum, and celebrating yourself because it's neuroscience, not because we're going to stand in front of a mirror and beat our chest woo-woo stuff. We're talking about flowing with our human nature. Well, okay. So how many donuts would you like for your Christmas present? <laughs> I want a Christmas tree now, now that I know yeah, this is an option too. in life. You got to look it up. It was so beautiful. It was like, oh my God. That's what I would picture as heaven, right? <laughs> Except it couldn't be in my house because I would eat it all. Um, so I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say I think it sounds like there are tremendous advantages to becoming mind strong, which is the title of your book, and truly empowering women to make sustainable health decisions. And I truly agree with you on the inside out approach, because as you get older as a female, and I sometimes think I'm probably the oldest female in America, um, you can't just slap a bunch of stuff on your face and put a bunch of needles into your face and get the results you want. It has to be from the inside out both diet-wise and honestly from your inner spirit. So Rachel Fryman, I wish you the best donut-free or donut-laden Christmas ever. And thank you for being a part of our New Year, New You um, options. And uh, you, everything you said makes so much sense. So thank you so, so much for being a part of Too Young to Be Old. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.